Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Now, I just need to say my voice might be a little bit deeper and manlier this week because it still has not recovered from the yelling that was happening on a Friday night. So look, if I do sound a bit more masculine, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mitch, how's your week been, buddy? Yeah, good. Good week this week. Uh, went out to watch the Waratahs play the Western Force on Friday night at Bankwest Stadium. Not the result we were after, but a much improved performance. So I think we yeah. can be a bit more positive this week, which is a good thing. I actually, I actually enjoyed it because I went out to the game saying, as long as we don't get a record loss to the Force, <laughs> like as in the worst they've ever beaten us, then yeah. it's an upside for me. Like I'm okay with that. <laughs> so I we just went out the trend there from the really... last few weeks then. Yeah, yeah. I really, really enjoyed the opportunity to go out. It's my first time being out at Bankwest since they had redone the stadium. Um, I'd previously been out for a bunch of Wanderers games back in the day. And the the upgrades are fantastic. I really, really enjoyed the stadium itself. Um, so I can't wait to get out to more games in the future. Uh, awesome. Why don't you quickly take us through the social platforms and then we'll jump into some of the things we're going to be doing in a pod. Sounds good. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We are also on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. So give us a like and a follow on there. And we're also at on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So definitely give us a follow and send us some tweets on there because we've been more and more vocal on there in the last few weeks. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very good fun. I've basically stopped using my own Twitter and I'm just <laughs> posting from that. It's good fun. Um, now, Superbrew Yellow Cap for the week. The Yellow Cap goes to Her Red. So very well done. Skyrocketing 12 ranks or 12 positions up the ranking to number one and the Yellow Cap for the week. Congratulations. Very well done. Uh, for, to- for tonight, we're going to be hitting up the spicy news before we head into our review of the round three matches. A very quick preview of round four and then we've decided to rename our listener questions part the locker room so that's going to be a weekly thing we put out mostly on twitter ahead of time what questions people would like us to be covering and so we try and go through them if we haven't directly addressed them in the review of the match so anything else you want to mention mate before we jump into the news we will try and keep things a little bit short and sharp this week last week's episode dragged on a little bit and I know a lot of people out there probably struggle to listen to a podcast of an hour and a half so we will try and keep this one a little bit shorter for you all some might even we'll we'll lift the the curtain a little bit and tell you that we're going to be uh, timing our sections to make sure we don't waffle on but at the same time we just love our rugby and love chatting about it so why don't we jump into the news let's go Well, now it's time for some spicy, spicy news. Now, first up, I do want to just say there has been a lot of news in the media over the last week and a half about the Waratahs and the kind of situation they currently find themselves in. We're not going to dive into that tonight. We've spoken about that a fair bit in the past. I think if you go onto our social media, you should see it trickling through our views on that sort of topic. And (laughs) as Waratahs fans, we've made it known in the past um, what we thought, what we think around that. So we're not going to focus on that at all at this point. Um, 
But moving on to more exciting news, uh, after three rounds of Super Rugby, we now have a sort of table. The table is shaping up. It's a little bit unusual. I don't think we were all expecting it to be as it currently sits. So after three rounds, we've got the Brumbies in first, pa- first place on 14 points, the Reds in second place on nine points, the Western Force in third place on four points, the Melbourne Rebels in fourth place on two points, and the Waratahs in fifth place with one point. Was there any anything any spots there that surprise you after three rounds, Ando? Um, I don't think I'm particularly surprised. Is basically what we had been predicting. Some people like the Rebels are just super unlucky to be where they are. Mm. Um, they've come so close in their in their first two games, and I mean they've come away with losing bonus points each time. But it's. Uh, for a couple of small decisions like Matty Tamua's kick and then that absolute, we won't go into it in detail yet, but that, what, 84th minute penalty that they got, something like that. Oh, of course you um, have to bring to it up. Win, to right win the game. At the beginning. Oh, no, I'm not saying who. I'm not saying who. I'm not saying who. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, for, but for a couple of tiny moments, they could well be sitting up near the top of the ladder. And so, yeah, they're, they're the team that are probably the most aggrieved to find themselves where they are. But as expected, Brumbies Force top two. Sorry, Brumbies, Brumbies Reds. Reds. Yeah, I'm surprised to see that I think the Force will be happy where they currently sit in third spot. Yeah. I mean, if we call the season now, they make the playoffs. So great, great for them so far. Um, Rebels, as you said, Ando, probably a bit hard done by and could very well be up there in second spot if a few different things go their way. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. It's definitely a tight competition. The Waratahs with only one point, but they get one or two victories in the season and they could potentially be in third spot again. So the, mm-hmm. we're, we're still early days, but this competition is going to shape up quite differently as it goes on. Let's move into the domestic side of things in news first. And the first point we're going to talk about is around COVID-19. So Rugby Australia has announced just this afternoon that they are looking into the possibility of getting players and staff at all the Australian super rugby teams vaccinated with the new COVID vaccine earlier than the, um, the Australian government is currently sort of planning for the rollout of the vaccine in hopes that the trans-Tasman competition goes ahead later in the year. Yeah, I I think that's great news at the moment. They're just lumped in with the rest of the population. And I think the vaccination is meant to be reaching them approximately July, which would just be too late. So with the strict expectations that New Zealand is taking towards um, international travel, it's going to be difficult to A, get the COVID vaccines accelerated, but B, to also get permission for an ongoing like fly in, fly out nature as the competition currently stands. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bubble situation in one of the countries happen mm-hmm. or maybe play the first two or three rounds in New Zealand and then the second, like the last two rounds in Australia or something like that. With a so there's gap not in the, the middle. fly in, fly out. Yeah, with a gap in the middle. Yeah. So they extend the competition out or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we don't um, know where we don't know where it's going to go yeah. at this point, but yeah. this, is, yeah. this is purely from RA saying this is what they would like to see happen. We This rests... Uh, purely on the Australian government approving mm-hmm. it. Uh, if we look at the NRL, though, uh, the it's been announced in the last few days that the New Zealand Warriors have been denied going to New Zealand at all to play this year. So they have now been set up in Australia until at least June. So um, that makes that does make you think that maybe they may not get this uh, this 
vaccine approved, approved but yep. we'll see what happens. Yep. We'll keep you abreast of that. Let's move on to the next bit of news. So we'll look, that's all we've got on the domestic side of things. So if we move to the international game, um, the Women's World Cup has unfortunately been postponed to 2022. It was due to go ahead later this year in New Zealand, but with the current COVID situation and just the way that COVID is in the in the international market, they don't see it being feasible to bring all the, the women's teams to New Zealand and safely uh, run the competition. They also thought it might be doing a disservice to the women's game to play it behind closed doors, which I, I partly agree with. Um, but all the all the while, it's still sad to see the women's game, the women's World Cup, isn't going ahead this year when I think a lot of people were were looking forward to it. So it will still go ahead in 2022. It'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, effect that has on the World Cup. A lot of the criticism that I've seen about this decision has come from the uh, the outward looking belief or the, the view from the outside that not enough was done to try and push for this to actually happen in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big problems is also that so many of the women's teams are underdone yep. of funding into women's rugby and how that takes away from opportunities to actually get match fitness playing high caliber international matches. Um, and then you add the COVID situation into things and the amount of rugby that so many of these uh, these great athletes have played is just so limited. And I understand both, both sides that there's almost like a health and safety point of view that you need the teams to be in appropriate conditioning and appropriate um, kind of match fitness and a ready state to play. But at the same time, I just wonder if they could have done more to try and get things to go ahead. Uh, but I, I don't envy, I don't envy uh, world rugby for having to make this choice, yep. but I'm also very conscious that there are so many people heavily involved in women's rugby that this decision really, really impacts. And I just, I feel for them. Yeah. I mean, I guess the bright side is they haven't canceled it. They haven't just said, we're not going to go ahead and we'll do it in four years time. They will still have a world cup next year. That's probably the better outcome than completely canceling it, which could have happened as well. Um, Mm. But I think we've spoken enough around that. So the next point of news is around Aaron Smith and he has signed on with New Zealand rugby and the Highlanders to stay until 2023 through to the end of the next world cup. Big, big signing for New Zealand as he's a very, very crucial player for them at the moment. hundred percent agree. He's probably actually without a shadow of a doubt, he's the best nine in the world right now on form and has been one of the best nines for the last four, five, six years. He is incredible. He is just the man of New Zealand rugby in so many ways. So it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for New Zealand rugby. And it's a great, great to see him really just committing when he could have just been earning so much money over in France or in Japan. So that's a huge credit to him. Uh, one of the other things to be well, um, Wow, I just had an absolute mental blank as I was <laughs> as I was thinking that 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 thought just popped out of my mind. Can you jump in and save me? I was going to say, um, it's interesting that the same week that Aaron Smith announces that he signed on with the Highlanders and the All Blacks through to the next World Cup, he's also dropped out of the starting side for the Highlanders and comes off the bench um, to play the who did they play this weekend? The Chiefs, um, yep. yeah, the, the Chiefs. So he's he's already got competition for that starting spot at the Highlanders, and his replacement did very very well in that game. So interesting around those signs. But yeah, I, I don't think anyone's <laughs> yeah. will anyone can foresee Aaron Smith not being in that All Blacks at least twenty three come World Cup in twenty twenty three. Yeah, and I think it's just great that there is that competition for the spot. Um, one, the thing I was going to say, sorry, I had an opportunity to remember where I was going. You know, uh, the 
New Zealand coverage of their competition, they had a fantastic video talking about what rugby meant to them. Ah, yes. And Aaron Smith's words within that and the emotion that he feels towards the game of rugby was just so powerful and moving and it shows you how much he cares and this decision to sign on and stay in New Zealand rugby and sure he's going to be getting a lot of money and he's going to be getting kind of national top-ups but he cares and values the game so much it's it's a wonderful statement to sign back on to New Zealand rugby during a time when he could be earning so much more money overseas yeah Awesome. Good to see. Um, our last point for the new segment tonight is around the Lions tour. So Rugby Australia has uh, announced in the last few hours that it's very unlikely that the Lions tour will be coming to Australia. Um, it just doesn't look like the Lions value that idea around hosting the tournament in Australia as a viable option. They still haven't announced through this article what is going to be announced. That's due to come in the next few days. Um, but at this chance, it just doesn't seem like it's the best option for the Lions. They don't want to come and play South Africa in Australia. They would prefer to either host the tour in South Africa behind closed doors, or they're also looking at the option of playing it in um, England and Ireland um, as sort of a home tournament, which would be unusual. We've never seen that before. But yeah, at this stage, Australia, unfortunately, doesn't get the rights to host it, which would have been great for us as fans to see. (laughs) But at the same time, it would have been very unusual to have and away tour with two neutral teams playing in Australia. Yep. Uh, it would have been amazing. It was always a long shot. I know where am I surprised by this. So, yeah, I think um, I think, I think that's I it. I'm not confident it's even going to go ahead. And I think that's it for the news. So, should we jump on to the Let's go. Let's go into our three. game reviews. All right. Moving to the review of... We're going to start over at Sydney at Bankwest Stadium for the Waratahs, the West Force, where there was a well-deserved win for the Western Force, 20 to 16 up against the Tars. Now, both Mitch and I were out at the game and we'll talk about our experience kind of at the end, talking about the atmosphere and our thoughts around all that type of stuff. But what I might do is I'm going to quickly run through some of the game stats before we get into the specific commentary on the game. So it was, like I said before, it was 20 to 16 or 16 to 20 and the Tars got up. Um, You had Dave Parecki scoring a try in the fifth minute, a bunch of convert uh, penalties from Will Harrison, 14th, 24th, 73rd. Uh, You had a fantastic try by Fergus Lee Warner on the 32nd minute, then Tim Anstey's try in the 54th. Jake McIntyre also getting a couple of uh, one penalty and Ian Pryor slotting a clutch penalty in the 79th minute to put the game beyond the reach of the Tars. Um, So it was a really interesting match. The first half shaped up really strangely in that the possession for the first half for the Waratahs was 32% to 68% for the force and territory was 29 to 71. But that evened out a bit more 57 to 43 within the second half for an overall of 42% uh, territory, 58% possession, 44, uh, sorry, 42% territory for the Waratahs, 58% for the force. Basically, the first half, the Waratahs had no ball, but scored a lot more points. And the second half, they had more ball and didn't score much with it at all. So that's an interesting point that we'll talk through in a bit. Um, Interesting one. There was so much kicking in this match. 
So 36 kicks from hand from both teams. So both teams were trying to back their defense and play a bit more of a territorial game. I think the Waratahs were trying to settle things down and not do so much frenetic wide uh, sideline to sideline attacking play. Um, their first try actually came off a rolling mall, which was just incredible to actually see for the Waratahs. <laughs> um, the line outs or the set piece was pretty standard. Nothing really to comment on from there. And the penalties weren't overly in either side. 11 to the Waratahs, 9 to the Force. You did have a red card against Andrew Reddy for a brain-dead punch to the face in the <laughs> 65th minute. It was just dumb. Um, there's absolutely no defending that. So that's that's a quick overview of the game from a statistical point of view. We'll, we'll talk to some of those points more. Um, why? Where, where do you want to start here, Mitch? Do you want to talk about the attack of each team? I think that was an interesting point from the game. Yeah, so we saw some changes for the Waratahs this this week. Um, Dave, uh, um, Penny, Dave Parecki, Dave. Pre- <laughs> no, I'm like, <laughs> I, I was going to say Dave Rennie. I, I get them confused in my head all the time. Um, the two Kiwi coaches. No, um, Penny changed a few key players in the lead up to this game. He shifted yeah, Mark Noanganitawasi yeah. into fullback. He brought uh, Dave Precky on to start at hooker. And he also shifted Hugh Sinclair into the second row. And I think all of those things played off really well for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We were quite surprised watching Mark Noanganitawasi. He was actually involved more in the game playing fullback um, than he was being playing on the wing. He still, unfortunately, was found out a lot in defense, um, which we I had big concerns about going into the game. But yeah, I think it was a good thing to put him there because yeah, he was more he was more problematic under the high ball, and he just had more um, more touches throughout the game than he often gets on the wing. Yeah, I'm actually going to jump in here, mate, and just I'm going to go to our locker room early because we're talking exactly about this question. There's no point revisiting it later. Uh, so we had Old Glory and Sydney Rugby fan on Twitter say, hey, while I'm at it, I want to hear your thoughts on Mark Nwanganitawase switching to 15. Did it work for Maddox going to the wing? I think that what we gained in uh, Marky Mark getting on the ball more, we lost in Maddox's involvement. Um, one of the things that uh, Nwanganitawase did very well was his diffusing of the high I'm not sure if he was particularly better than Maddox would have been at that, but he's really good at getting the ball. And in the first couple of steps, beating the defending player that's trying to smash him as soon as he picks it up. So he's really good at that. But the thing that I think Maddox is much stronger in is knowing when to go for an offload in the tackle. And there were so many times when we were at the game, just getting so frustrated with Nwanganitawase when he does these out of the back of the hand passes that just go to ground, miss the player, get knocked on. Um, He did three or four of them. And it wasn't until the second half that he actually did a pass with two hands after trying to get, when he was trying to get an offload. So I'm, I'm actually okay if we continue this experiment, but I just want him to have a little bit more maturity in his ball retention when he's trying to collect the ball and bring it back up. I've still got big question marks around Mark um, defensively, particularly yeah. at fullback. It, in some ways he was found out more um, in that fullback position than he sometimes can be on the wing. I do know last week that they scored a lot of tries down his, his channel. So they need to do something to fix him up. I just don't think at the moment he's bringing enough attacking flair to the position to warrant his defensive inability. I think Mm. we probably need to bring someone else into that position. I don't know off the top of my head who that would be. Um, A few weeks time when we get um, 
Oh, I've had another mind blank. Um, the You're red doing card. Doing well tonight, mate. I'm doing so well. <laughs> Parisi, um, Parisi is back. He Parisi? Yeah. Well, yeah. a few weeks time when we get Parisi back, maybe we shift Newsom to the wing and put um, we put Maddox back into fullback, and not Wanganidawasi either drops out of the 23 completely or comes off the bench. Mm-hmm. But yep. the few tries that they scored, the two tries that they scored in the game this week through Tim Anstey, um, mm-hmm. was very much inability for for Marky Mark to, to shut that down. He was out yeah, of position. Yeah. He, was, he was out of position. He yeah. was just sort of second guessing where he needed to be. And he ended up just sort of hovering and they kind of just went around him. So he might as well not have even yeah. been there. Yeah. I think um, if we shift now and talk about the Western forces attack, yeah. it's, it's really interesting because I mean, yeah, they, they scored two tries. And by the way, in no way are we saying the Waratah's attack was fantastic. Um, we only got one try and I was off a rolling more. Okay, so let's just hold on. Let's hold on to that one. <laughs> um, but the the Western Forces attack, I'm not convinced that Jake McIntyre had a particularly strong game. Yeah, he he showed a lot of attacking endeavor, but he had a few times where his passes weren't going to hand, um, going out behind a player he was aiming for. He he was happy to take contact when required, which is fine, but he just didn't really seem to unlock the Waratahs defense much with his passing game and whether you attribute that to him or whether to the support uh, the running lines that his outside backs are running he just he didn't impress me because you look at the two tries and so the first one to Fergus Lee Warner comes directly after that Tim Anstey break up the middle and the reason that try happens is two reasons one Harry Johnson Holmes rushes up to put a big hit on and leaves that hole outside him. Jeremy Thrush sees um, Harry rushing up and has fantastic, fantastic soft hands to just quickly pop the ball onto Tim Anstey, who showed all of his sevens acceleration to just power through that gap, keep his foot in a half tackle from Jack Grant, and then be comfortable enough in that moment to still get a really easy, simple offload away for Fergus Lee Warner, who was backing up really well. Um, But then their second try, it's not like it was a particularly amazing back maneuver or really, really insightful play. It was just um, off, off the back of a line out. Uh, Tim Anstey comes running around from the halfback position. And it's really, it's pretty funny in Lockie Swinton absolutely smashes him from the side. Right. But it was actually detrimental because he pushes him a couple of meters in the, from the momentum of his tackle, a couple of meters in towards the goalposts and it actually wrong foots, both Harrison and Maroa. So both of them can't get effective tackles to stop the forward momentum because Swinton has hit him so hard from like the perpendicular momentum. Um, so it was, it was really weird that like, yeah, good try to Tim Anstey. He rode the tackle well, but if anything, Swinton was too strong and his <laughs> tackle meant that the other defenders weren't able to help him because they're completely wrong-footed them. So my point within that is simply to say that I'm just not convinced that the dropping of John O'Lance for Jacob McIntyre was particularly effective. And I'm also not convinced that Thomas Kibeli really deserved his start over Ian Pryor. Um, Kibeli really didn't do much from an attacking point of view within this game. He was relatively quiet. And whether that was because of an improved defensive effort from the Waratahs, whether oh, he just didn't seem to go for many attacking runs or snipes that is kind of his mainstay. He's a very good attacking threat and I didn't see much from him. So that's just a quick comment. You spoke about the Tars a little bit. I just wanted to comment on what I thought about the forces yeah. attack. Yeah, I think one um, one element that came to mind quite 
prominently from this whole round of super rugby is that teams aren't able to really attack the line strongly. Um, mm. Both the Waratahs and the Western force found it very hard to kind of bend the line. If they either made a break, they, they were ve- in the Tars instance, they would often make a break and then throw an offload that wasn't on or, or drop the ball. But yeah. the Western force were also as guilty of that as well. So both teams never really got ascendancy in that, um, that middle channel. They were sort of going wide. And if it wasn't for Tim Anstey's particular um, involvement, the Western force may not have even scored any tries. So both of those, both of those tries that they scored were from sort of individual brilliance more so than yep. Yep. good uh team positioning, build up and execution of sort of set plays. The Waratahs yeah, really like, looked like scoring. Um, they yeah, got, they got close a few times. <laughs> I will let you in in a second. I'm just going to... No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Um, they they did get close a few times, but then simple errors with their hands. Um, Parecki got stripped on the, the try line. And then James Ram also in, in the open just drops the ball on with no one around him. So the Waratahs probably looked a little bit more uh, dominant in that in that position, but which is unusual considering the backline that the Western force have, but mm. the, the Waratahs, the Western force and the rebels all never looked really like um, being dominant in that center channel. All of the center pairings don't really seem to be clicking and, and forming good combinations just yet. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And one of the things that you and I both spoke about at the game was how dominant a voice Will Harrison is within every single thing that the Waratahs do offensively. And that is wonderful. I love seeing a young player, young 10, tr- taking the reins and taking on that responsibility. But we actually had issue in that all Jack Grant is doing when he gets to the ruck is passing it to wherever Will Harrison is almost every time. And you look at the stats of the game and it's actually kind of um, borne out within the stats insofar as uh, Jack Grant had 100 passes, 32 for Will Harrison. And the next highest is Nwanganitawase, who has 10 passes. And they're all coming from kick returns that he's taking. So you have nobody else that's really taking on that second distributor role. So for the force, they've got um, Kubeli at 103, McIntyre for 50, and then Kohui for 18. And then Byron Rolson chipping in from the wing with 10. And... So at least you've got Kahui there that is capable of passing and distributing a, a little bit more effectively than your kind of average player. And who is it? Who's doing that job for the Tars? Who is, because the Tars, their attack is so lateral at times that I'm just, I, part of the reason why my voice is gone is because I'm yelling out, just wanting them to sat, wanting them to hit the blind side or to do like a 21 and go two phases to the right and then bounce back to the left and try and manipulate and run against some tired forwards that aren't actually um, spacing themselves set properly. Up, yeah. yeah, like it's just, I, I'm, that's part of the reason why I don't like uh, Marky Mark at 15 because I feel like Maddox at least has the presence and the, um, the almost the commanding presence within the, the team. Line. Yeah, yeah, correct. Interject into the line and demand the ball and then get the ball. Um, whereas Noanganitawase is just that little bit less experienced and a little bit less confident. And so yeah. he's not going to be demanding it to that same level, which means it's always going to Harrison and defensively just mark up on the side that Harrison's on and you're fine because nothing else is going to happen. Yeah, we did see in the, in the second half of the game, Jack Grant did seem to sit 
t- take on the line a little bit more. And he did yeah. feed some of the forward runners. I think the, the message at halftime was to just open up that channel a bit, f- yep. free it up a bit and maybe not be so rigid in just feeding Will Harrison all the time. But definitely, as you were saying in that last point, that when, when he was setting up to Will all the time in that first half, there was a number of instances that we noticed being at the game where there was an overlap um, in the opposite direction and Will Harrison had just set himself up the wrong way and if Jack Grant had seen that he could have either taken the ball himself and, and set up a short blind um, play but he went to Harrison because that's kind of what he'd been told to do yep yeah yep well uh look I think that's it we have the danger of talking too much about the Waratahs I just think that um the force they deserve the win they finish out the game much stronger despite being down a man. Why don't we just very quickly touch on a red card? Yep. Uh, it was a deserved red card. He punched him in the face. Yep. Yeah, cool. I mean, there's there's, no, there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing else around that, really. It was just silly. It yep. was unnecessary. It didn't need to happen. He gave the ref yep. no other option. It was clear and, and obvious. Yep. So nothing yeah. around that. But the Waratahs also didn't capitalize on that either. No, so they were no. up. Yeah. They were up yep. at that point and then they conceded a try. Um, whilst being a man down and then lost the game. So mm. it's it's an interesting situation. And I don't think the Brumbies handled the red card in their game well either, which we will get to shortly. Agreed. Okay, why don't we shift across now to the honourable mention? So what we're going to do is instead of um, asking a question of which players stood out to you and then naming essentially every player from each team, what we're going to do is just ask who is an honourable mention for you from the game and we get one each. So Mitch, I'll throw to you first. Yeah, so I haven't actually selected a player that was playing on the field. I've gone with um, with Penny, Rob Penny. Ooh. Yeah, so there's been a lot of pressure on him this week um, and that'll either do one of two things for a coach. He'll either excel in that environment and put in a good performance or the team will put in a good performance. He'll get the, the guys G'd up and really get them believing in, in what they're doing and they'll come out and, and play well or he'll kind of go into his shell and just fall away and concede that this is just too hard and it's just not going to happen. I think for mm-hmm. this week, he made some good decisions in switching some of the players around. We haven't seen that yep. in the last few weeks and they ended yep. up paying off quite well for yeah, the Waratahs. Yeah. And I think that's set a good, um, I mean, we've got to buy now, but it's set a really good platform to move on to moving forward. So for me, bringing Dave Parecki on to, to start at hooker, the, the line out was much better than it was with Tom Horton. So we, mm-hmm. if we look at the stats, oh, sorry, my mouse has just died. If we look at the stats for that alone, we, we got all 100% line outs in, in this game, which is great. Yep. If we look at last week, Tom Horton was throwing sort of long um, all over the place and we didn't get as quite as ascendancy in that position. So switching Dave Parecki to start, I thought was a big plus for the, the game plan. Moving, we, mm-hmm. we mentioned it before, moving Mark Nwanganiwasi to the fullback position allowed him to have a little bit more time, a little bit more involvement with the ball, um, just get himself into the game more so, potentially hide himself a little bit more in defense, but also <laughs> catch 22 there. Um, and shifting Hugh Sinclair into the second row. I have been quite critical of the second row in the last few weeks and that I just didn't see those guys do anything. But I can remember just being out at the, at the ground, not even watching the game on replay. I could see Hugh, Cla- Hugh Sinclair was putting in big hits. He was having runs with the ball. He was present. Yep. Um, so yep. I could see him. So I think those things were great. I think Rob Penny has started to show some improvement in this side. The guys have come off some massive, massive losses last week, the last two weeks, and the pressure's really on. They've been absolutely rung through in the media. Um, but as fans, they showed some real heart in this game. They weren't quite able to capitalize on that and win the game. 
but they are still a very young side and I think that's to be expected. So for me, I think Rob Penny's done a great job and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for the rest of the year with the Waratahs. Yeah, and I think the the Force really needed that win. Obviously, it's their first um, win in Super AU this year, and after having not won a game at all last year, it was super important for them. I think it was was it the first win in nine games, I believe. It's around that stat. Um, so, big congratulations yeah, that'd be to right. yep. the Force. Yep. Um, now, the my, my pick for the honourable mention is Tim Anstey. So, he was fantastic throughout this game. He was explosive, dynamic. Um, that that break that he made for the first try to Fergus Lee Warner was just awesome. I mean, I've already gone through it in a bit of detail earlier, but his ability, unlike almost every other forward in world rugby, to get into that half break, uh, to get into that space behind the defensive line and to just not panic and have his head up and be able to give a really nice pass is something you don't often see from forwards when they get into space. So that was really cool to see. Um, plus the, he just was a presence on and off the ball throughout the match. Um, I was, I'm really looking forward to watching more of him throughout the season. He was, he's a wonderful addition to the starting team. Um, and I don't, I'm not allowed to say any other players, but I do just want to say this singular stat. Um, Tizano again, is at topping the tackle count at 26 tackles for the match. So he's an absolute workhorse and he's a massive loss to the Western force, um, but a huge gain to New South Wales Waratahs. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's been so good to see in Tim Ansey's performance and, and across the board really is the transition from the sevens program into the 15 man game. Some of these mm. guys are really standing up and doing really well. So Lockie Anderson also for the rebels played really well on the wing. Um, he's had two good games now for them at, on that wing, um, Tim Ansey's now performed really well. It's unfortunate um, that Tim Ansey's not playing for New South Wales because he's a New South Wales boy. Um, that Rob Penny did say in the press conference after the game. But um, I'm really looking forward to just seeing what some of the other guys that are, are sort of hanging around the Rebel squad, like Jarrell Skelton, will bring in the next few weeks because they've bring a real. Um, like they just bring that pace to the game that we don't often see. Like you don't see a second rower going for massive runs like that and breaking the line. Yeah. It's just great to see. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So I agree with that. Is there anything else you want to say about this game? Or are we happy to move on to the next one? Nah, we'll, we'll need to move on. Um, the final thing that we were going to say um, actually, but the final thing we were going to say is just quickly commenting on the atmosphere at Bankwest. Um, I don't think there would have been more than 3000 people at the game. Yeah. And that's being generous in my estimation. Um, it only really, yeah, I, I would be guessing low two two thousands if if I had to put money on it. And it was just the the crowd was just dead. And I got to the ground about forty five minutes early, so I was just hanging out waiting for you to arrive. And I was just <laughs> watching everybody come past, and it's just old white men almost exclusively. <laughs> that were that were within the crowd it was fascinating to see the demographic and maybe i'm just being unrealistic about the tars supporter base but it's something that i think they really need to be shifting the atmosphere was dead the um match announcer was trying like the kind of mc was trying but there was just so little there and i mean it's not surprising when you have two two record losses i went to a party last night on saturday night and um it was chatting to a couple of guys who were members for the tars over the previous three years and they're like hey what did you get up to and i said oh, i went to the tars last night and they just laughed and said why why would you do that to yourself um 
And I said, because I love the game. But it's just that, <laughs> that attitude. So it's concerning. Um, I think New South Wales has a lot to do moving forward. But it was just disappointing that the atmosphere and the experience, like the stadium was great, but the, the crowd was just dead. Um, you could hear us yelling out <laughs> way too clearly. <laughs> so I need to listen back to the coverage and see if you can hear us. But <laughs> Yeah, I went back and saw us in the crowd. So that was fun. Um, oh, but yeah, cool. I think um, what, uh, around that, around why there is no atmosphere at the game, there's a lot of onus that needs to be put on the fans, but there's also a lot of onus that needs to be put back on the Waratahs. And now one thing we did notice that after the game, probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes from full time, there was one Waratahs player out on the field talking to the, to the general public. And that was Jack Grant. Now he looked yep. more like he was talking to his mom or a family member who had come down to see him play for the first time in Sydney, but everyone else sort of went over, handed out the balls that they were given by the media guy and then went up the shoot. But a good 40 minutes after the game, all of the Western Force players were still out there talking to fans of both teams and just yeah, yeah. mingling in. Now, that is not yep. what we need to be seeing. If the Waratahs want to be building um, respect in the in the community, uh, get the fans involved, they need to be engaging with the fans. They need to be engaging with the people that are paying good, hard money to come and see them play. Yes, they didn't win the game. I, you can... F- you can forgive them for feeling a bit upset or a bit off. It was a close game. They gave it their all. That's great. But that doesn't give them the right to just get off the field as soon as the final whistle's blown. I 100% agree with that. I mean, you and I were down at the end of the field, like behind the goals. And um, a few of the force players came over after the game finished. So we went down to the sideline waiting for them to come or to the end, um, down the bottom of the seats. And like no Waratahs players came over. So we went around to where the Waratahs players were. But by the time we walked around, which took us, what, a minute and a half, two minutes, there was like two Waratahs players remaining there. And... We like we know some of the Tars players from the squad wanted to yell out to them and say g'day to meet them in person kind of thing. And we just couldn't. We just couldn't because they were all over on the other side of the field just chatting amongst themselves. And I just thought that was I just wasn't overly impressed with that, considering mm-hmm. the situation amount of time the club the finds fans. itself in. Yeah. As well. Yeah, like say thank you to the fans for coming over and spend time out there. I remember going to a Tars game a couple of years back when Nick Phipps was there and he uh, would not leave whilst there were kids and people still wanting stuff signed or still wanting photos with the crowd. Yeah. And so that was, that was just a stark difference. And I think we need to move on. Otherwise. Oh, definitely. We've gone way over our, way over our time. All right, cool. Game two, Brumbies versus the Rebels down at GIO Stadium in Canberra. The Brumbies got up in the final minute of the game, 27 to the 24 for the Rebels. It was a really, really entertaining game. I enjoyed it. And I don't care about everybody that says, boo, the Rebels didn't score any tries. No, I'm not booing that. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going wrong. I'm booing the the performance of the little scrum half who came on, who thinks he's now the best thing since sliced bread in Canberra. Mate, you're a hater and you need to join the bandwagon, which is growing. I don't, he, he won't be replacing Nick White anytime soon, but Ryan Lonigan has a growing fan club of which I am the number one 
member. The president? So let me, the junior vice president, yes. Uh, So let me go through some of the kind of key stats from the game, just as I did for the Waratahs. So um, like I said, 27-24 to the Brumbies. He had tries, uh, Len Nikitao, Tom Banks, and then a penalty try as well. Uh, Lalesio and then Ryan Lonigan got a couple of conversions. Lalesio had a fifth minute penalty and Lonigan's 84th minute penalty was just uh, huge. Alan Alatoa got red card in the 45th, 41st minute. It was end of the second half in the extra time, uh, end of the first half, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that it happened. So it was a high shot on Pony Famasili and it was pretty deserved red card as well. Matty Tamua kicked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight penalties to get them to 24 points. So 100% kicking success from Matty Tamua. And if we look at possession now, um, possession over the course of the entire game was 47-53, territory 50-50. But the possession changed significantly from first to second half. So first and second half, uh, first half was pretty even, possession and territory. But second half, the Rebels dominated with 61% possession and 61% territory. The Rebels also dominated with clean breaks, 11 to 3, and offloads 11 to 5. The penalty count wasn't particularly massive. It was 14, 13. All set piece was pretty even for each team. Nothing remarkable there. Um, So overall, it just was, it was a really fascinating game to talk about. So do do you want to start looking at the Rebels game plan? Is that a good place for us to begin? Yeah, let's go. So there was, we, there was some talk throughout the week last week that the Rebels shouldn't have come so close to Reds and all they did was kick penalties. Now, we were wondering if they would change their approach this week, moving into the, the, the champions that the Brumbies are and playing them at home in Canberra. We can confidently say, no, they didn't. This was the, definitely <laughs> their game plan, but it worked. I think this week it worked better than it did last week. The scoreboard pressure that the Brumbies uh, that the Rebels put on the Brumbies actually forced the Brumbies into errors. Um, yep. And uncharacteristic. Yeah, yeah, uncharacteristic. Nick White looked rattled for a lot of this game, and that that wasn't just due to the scoreboard pressure. The Rebels also have to be um, commended for their breakdown presence. So they yes, were very, very dominant at the breakdown. They were pushing the Brumbies back on their own ball, and they were competing very hard at the ball. Um, I was very impressed with the game plan by the Rebels. For this game, for this whole game, that not only did they just go for kicks at goal, they did take a few attempts at the line and they did get held up a few times. So the fans out there who say that this was boring, I think they've won a few people over in the week for for doing that. But um, yeah, they came down with a great game plan and they really stuck it to the Brumbies, and it shows that they um they are potentially up there as title contenders. I mean, if a few things go their way. Yep. The, the Rebels are, are two from two. Yeah, and I mean, look, you could also argue it conversely is that the game plan hasn't won a game in the first or second week. But I think that would actually be quite harsh mm-hmm. because in the first week, like we spoke about previously, it was a very kickable penalty that was missed at the end by Matty Tamua that would have won in the game. And then this week, it was what was really, in all honesty, a clutch kick from Ryan Onigan at the edge of his range to, to get them to win. Yep. So... There are, it's really, really tough. I think if you're a Rebels player, part of the administration, coaching staff, or fan, they deserve to come away with more points from at least one of those games. But the thing I want to speak to is this argument that the Rebels are playing boring rugby. And I, I just fundamentally disagree. 
because the type of rugby that they are playing at the moment is a high intensity defensive pressure game where they are then taking every single point on offer. And as Dave Vessel said after the game, his team may not be scoring many tries, but they're scoring a decent amount of points. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how you get the points, they're getting points. So that there's something obvious to be said in that is a very simple comment, but it's quite poignant as well. That the game of rugby is one of the reasons why I love it is because it's multifaceted. There's this image going around on Twitter where this um where this rugby league bloke has just has just circled the fact that Matty Tamua scored eight penalties and they got twenty um 24 points from it and he's like this is a problem with rugby but the thing is you can win the game of rugby playing in different ways and that's what i love about it like you don't have to have the all-out attacking side-to-side way that the tars have been playing to try and win a game you don't have to have plays which are based upon attacking lineouts like the brumbies often do you can have a defensive pressure game that manipulates the opposition into forcing mistakes and then capitalizing upon them that's what the rebels are doing and it's it's going to come off for them because it's a game plan which has been tailored for their team. The only concern, well, there's two concerns. One, they haven't won either game yet, but we've spoken about that. Mm-hmm. And then the second point is they have a lot of experience in that back line. And I would be asking the question of, well, why aren't they scoring more tries considering the quality of the back line that they do have. Um, do, do you have any thoughts or, or comments on that one? Yeah, I think the the biggest issue that they have at the moment is their lack of centers. It's a mm. it's a problem that the Waratahs also find themselves in. So um, if we look at the lineup for the Brum, for the Rebels in in this week's game, they had um, Reese Hodge at twelve and Illy Stacey at thirteen. Now Reese Hodge is serviceable as twelve. He gives Matt Tamu a second attacking option, but Stacey Illy, I, I haven't seen him play too much this year, and I, he didn't stand I, I don't know if this was his debut but i don't recall seeing him play in the last few years for the for the rebels and he didn't really stand out now he's got marika corabetti and Lockie anderson outside him two very dominant attacking players but he wasn't giving them a yep. good platform to attack from and i think yep. if we had um dane hale at petty back or if the rebels sorry had dane hale at petty back and they could shift some of those um backline players around the the whole look of that backline changes completely and i think that that would unlock um, a lot of their backline players. Marika Korobetti was popping up a lot in the centers to try and get his hands on the ball. And he was trying to keep that up tempo game going. Um, but yeah, I don't think in open play, he got, he found enough ball. And that was, I, for me personally, one of the reasons that they weren't sort of unlocking that um, in the center situation. Yeah. And one of the questions that I have is whether or not, um, it's, it's a good idea to have Reese Hodge at 12. I think you should have Reese Hodge at 15, push Pincus out, and mm-hmm. then you, you've got to bring somebody different in that's a distributor into 12. Um, you, because whilst Tamua has, has played very, very well for the first two rounds, the like the Waratahs, the Rebels need somebody who's going to be that second distributor. And I'm not sure if Tom Pincus is it. And having Reese Hodge at 12 is cutting off access to the outside men, yep. well, particularly Corobetti. Now, Corobetti was very busy. He won man of the match and he, he did have a good game, but he really had to go looking for work. Yeah, like that time. was on his back. That wasn't him getting yep. clean ball and getting front football from his back line. That was him yep. popping up in the centers and coming off his wing and looking for it. 
Yep, agreed. So uh, that's some of our comments about the kind of game plan for the Rebels. Um, one of the things I just want to quickly say for the Brumbies before we move to our honourable mentions is that the um, the Brumbies, they were so rattled by the defensive pressure that was put on by the Rebels. And one of the interesting perspectives is that the Rebels bring people down to their level. Yes, that's, that's what I've heard some kind of pundits or um, followers of the game say. And I think that's that's true. The Rebels, well, I, I guess it's not a, the Rebels are bad and they bring other people down to their bad level, but the Rebels' disruptive breakdown presence prevents teams from playing their natural style. And so you have to muscle up with them in front to be able to then try and play your natural game. And so what that meant for the Brumbies is that, is that they were having to commit more forwards to the breakdown to be able to secure their own ball, mm -hmm. which meant that they weren't able to set the effective screens that they had been playing previously, particularly to, with great effectiveness to get the tar, against the Tars, yeah. where you have that three-man forward pod in front of the backline distributor, and then the scrum half has the option, or Nick White has the option of going to the forward pod um, or playing it out the back, or the pod can play it out the back to the playmaker and then get some width um, and manipulation of the defense that way. Uh, the Brumbies weren't able to do that because the Rebels were so good with their breakdown and forcing the Brumbies to send more players in to secure their ball. So... I and there was there was also a few yeah, times <laughs> when Nick White would attack the line and then look over his shoulder for that um, dominant ball player to come through and take take the possession, but they weren't there because they were either too wide or in the breakdown trying to secure the ball. So Nick White also yeah. got um, smacked a few times by some of the bigger boys, and he was definitely getting rattled by that. Yeah, the first thirty minutes, I think he was really poor. He he settled down and grew back into the game after that, um, but it was. Yeah, it was a, not the best night for him. But in to their defense, if you watch the post-match um, press conference with McKellar and White, they were they were very complimentary to the Rebels and saying how well the Rebels played and actually how poorly the Brumbies played. They were honest about how they were off their game, and that was largely due to the Rebels. And that they were pleased that they'd won, very obviously, but not happy at all with their performance and recognizing that this was a step below where they'd been the previous two weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that needs to be said that the rebels for the people that saying that the rebels can't score tries and, and therefore shouldn't be in the position they are in. Um, I, I think they need to hold their heads high. And as a fan of the rebels, I would be extremely proud of the performance they're putting in. If you look at what the Waratahs are trying to do of just trying to run the ball at every cost and going from trial from sideline to sideline and not really taking on the centers, it's not working for them and they're losing mm. games. Now, the Rebels are, um, are taking on these big guys. So they're taking on the Reds and they're taking on the Brumbies now, and they've come away with very, very close margins. But if they played either of these games in Melbourne, I think we'd be looking at completely different outcomes. Yeah. There's a few situations in this game. I'm not going to go into them too much and, and have a, a go at the referee, but there are some situations there that really do question um, the home advantage that the Brumbies receive. Like the, the penalty try and the yellow card, against the rebels was just completely out of the blue for me because they hadn't had a, a warning for about 30 minutes. The last one that they collapsed a more was 30 minutes ago in the first half. And the next minute they're getting um, a straight away. Damon Murphy sent one of the, uh, gave a yellow card and a penalty try, which gives them the lead. Um, so yeah, they can hold themselves, their heads high. I think they've done really well, 
Um, but also if we do, if things, if Ryan Lonergan does miss that kick and things go to golden try, I, I think we've got a completely different game in our hands as well. Yep. Yep. And uh, let's quickly touch on Alan Alatoa's red card. Uh, I completely understand it. I thought it was somewhat mitigating and I thought Pony Farmacilli was going down slightly into the tackle, but it was also reckless and poorly timed. Well, not reckless, but uh, Alatoa missed the target of where he was trying to hit and he made first contact with the head with force. So I completely Yeah, I mean, it. for me in that situation, there was no other option. It was going to be red. And the reason was mm. that Alan Alatoa started low and drifted high into contact. Yeah, yep, Now, if yep, you yep. drift up into contact, regardless of where you make first, where you hit the player first and you drift and your body trajectory is upwards, you're always going to get a card. And well, that's you're, just you're at much higher risk of it, huh? Yeah, that's and that's just the thing because there were some things on Twitter that were said around like, you know, this if he if he doesn't hit the head, then that's just a good hit and the player needs the, the onus needs to be on the defending player not to drop his head and that kind of thing. But um the fact is he was upright, he was standing upright and his body height, he was rising into the tackle. Now, if he yeah. had stayed low and dr- driven forward, great hit, play on. Um it's it's the the body height situation and where he's aiming that momentum for me. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that for both red cards, neither side was able to capitalize really yeah. on the lack of presence of, a, um, of, of the other team being 14 men down. And I've seen a couple of comments saying that, that people aren't enjoying the 20 minute um, red card. Personally, I'm loving it because an early red card if there is no replacement after 20 minutes has the capacity to completely ruin a game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there is a concern that let's just say um, there's a really high shot on a player in the fifth minute of the game and the player who is hit is no longer capable of playing on. taking the field and playing on. Yeah. And so has to be replaced. Uh, and then the team that commits the foul also gets to replace the player after 20 minutes of being a man down. Is that really fair? Particularly if it's like a key, key player um i would much rather that be the case than have the game the the team that commits that foul be or that penalty be 14 men down because the difficulty is is that there is so much more um emphasis on protecting the heads of players that there are more red cards that seem to be getting dished out and i agree with that i'm cool with that but I'm also just, I don't want to see red cards make mean a team's going to lose, particularly if it's early on within a match. I want the match to still be a contest. And that's just one of the things that I think is really important. Um, I think Pony Farmacilli not being able to come back onto the field didn't really change much for the Rebels because he only plays about 50 minutes anyway. <laughs> and he very rarely goes beyond like 45, 50. So I don't think that had a particularly big impact. What are your thoughts around the record? I think or it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see what the, how the Brumbies cope with it moving forward. So Alan Alatoa will probably cop at least three weeks for it um, suspension because mm. that's what we've seen in the past. That's the yep. precedence that's been set with the other hits, particularly the the um, the hit for the rebel uh, the Reds player in round two. So um, they now host the Reds, which will be the final rematch this week at home without their captain and without. Um, their tight head, who's going up against Alan Alatoa, uh, sorry, with, who's going up against Taniela Tupo, it's going to be a big yep. ask for that replacement to come in and, and scrummage at the same level that Alan 
scrummage is at. So I'd be interested to see if that affects things at, at all. I don't think it'll be the determining factor in the Brumbies not being able to win the game, but I think it will have an effect and I'm interested to see what happens for it. Yep. Why don't we uh, finish things now with our honorable mentions? And I'm just going to say mine because you know exactly who I'm going to say. And that is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Ryan Lonergan. His his involvement in final minutes of the game was um, game-changing, obviously, because his kick won that match. But he, he was just really serviceable around the park prior to that. And um, I think what he's... What his performance so far this season is showing is... He's a great bench player. Well, yeah. And you know what? Like, I know that you give me a bit of crap about this, but yes. Yeah, he is. He's coming on late in the game and doing his job. He's kicking the sticks at nearly 100% accuracy. And he had the composure to be able to do that clutch kick to win the game. And he's been on the bench now for a couple of years after coming through the Brumbies Academy and the pathways that they've got there. And so it's just showing the strength of what the Brumbies are doing. And he's a local lad as well. So I'm just really pleased for him. Um, and I, I don't think he's going to unseat Nick White anytime soon, but he's a very capable reserve scrum half. And I think that's going to continue. And um Isaac Fines uh, has also, Leliwasa as well, has been really, really good as a, a wing option mm. too. Yeah, so it also means it that if the, the ball goes, yeah, he shifted out to the wing, but also means if there's like uh, a bit of wide play, then um, Lonergan or White, it's usually Lonergan because he's on late in the match. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it means that Fines can just do the distribution from the base of the rock because he, he's a scrum half. So it's, it's working well for them and giving him that extra option. So I was, I've been really impressed with Ryan Lonergan not just because I'm a fanboy, which I am, but because he actually had a very crucial uh, role within this game. I mean, he yes, he did well. I'm not taking that away from it at all. But if we do, if he doesn't get that kick, if he steps up and he doesn't get it, is everyone applauding his performances as that great? Aside from, uh, did think- he do enough outside of that to be saying like he's he's so good he's going to push Nick White out of that starting jersey soon? No, I don't think anybody is saying that. Um, I've seen a few I, things on Twitter that people are saying that he okay. is pushing well, for Wallaby's spot. And I think, well, that's a bit that's a bit presumptuous just yet. I, I don't think he's at all pushing for Wallaby's spot. Um, mm-hmm. As Morgan Tyranny would say, you need to have that body of work yeah. to really be justified in getting to that level. Um, I, I think he's doing everything that's being asked of him at this point. And with Alan Alato out, it'll almost, oh, it may not be, it'll probably be Nick White as a captain moving forward, probably. Um, Tom Cusack was captain. Um at the After time. Alan Alto yeah. went off. But yeah, I think I think he's doing well. He's probably at like a seven out of ten without that kick, and then goes up to an eight or nine out of ten with that kick for the match. Um, you're right. Like the if he doesn't get that kick, sure, the rap changes, but of, of course it's going to. It was it was a, a massive moment for the yeah. game and for him personally. So yes, yeah, of course it would change. Um, my honorable mention goes to be Caboose Elof. I was yes. impressed with his um, performance, particularly around sort of the 66th minute of the game. <laughs> so um, they the the Rebels get a break in the midfield and then they shift it wide and Caboose is there and he just takes off and he goes for about 45-minute gallop down the, the sideline. I was hoping he'd go all the way, but he doesn't. Um, and he gets tackled and they recycle the ball and they keep moving and there's a few phases. And he got up and he looked absolutely gassed. Now he played 65 <laughs> minutes of hard tempo rugby at this point and i was i was applauding him for for making that performance so far um and he was just sort of hovering out the back line and he looked really 
really tired and he, he was really sucking them in the big ones. But all of a sudden the, the ball came his way again and he's found himself in another hole and he just takes off and he's yep. gone for another 15 meters or meters. <laughs> and he gets a really, he gets a really good and offload. Then, as yeah. Well, and then he goes into contact and yep. gets this little offload away um, and then goes to ground. And I don't, I don't think he got up after that. I think by that point that the tank was well and truly done. <laughs> <laughs> they subbed him off directly after that second yeah, one. That exactly. Talking about. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, definitely. That's a great, that's a great example of emptying the tank. But how yep. good was it to see just a big boy out there having such a big space? It reminds me of when Matt Dunning used to get the, the ball for the Waratahs <laughs> and just take off down the field with his little legs scurrying along like a beetle. It was just great to yeah, see. Yeah, it, it was awesome. And I, in those moments, um, realized how tall he actually is. Yeah. So he's, he's such a massive frame. So if you look at his stats, he had four runs for 43 meters and like any backward or back row would absolutely be loving those stats. Um, Joe Powell had four runs for 17 meters. Matty Tamua seven for 17. Uh, Reese Hodge, nine runs for 20 meters. So he's doubling, he's doubling Reese Hodge's run meters with less than half the carries. So he'll be, he'll be talking that one up for a while. Um, yeah, and he's he's 193, so he's over six foot two. Um, he's massive in his height and weight, 124 kilos. So uh, he's a he's a big frame. He does his job at scrum time, but it's good to see this extra kind of uh, what is it, arrow in a quiver, something like that. Yeah. So I, I loved it more more from him. He's becoming a bit of a cult figure with the pink budgie smugglers and uh, the performances that he had in this game. So good on him. And the black eye that he's he's currently holding oh, makes him look even that yeah. more ominous. He looks like a pirate. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how he even sees out of that eye. It's swollen oh, I, over so he much. He couldn't. At that point, he couldn't. It was swollen shut. Jeez. All right. Why don't we uh, shift things up now? We'll go into the locker room and then finish off with the round four preview. Let's go. Well, welcome everybody to the locker room. This is where we answer the fans' questions. So the first one comes to us from Old Glory and Sydney rugby fan at NRC Sydney. He asks, are the Rebels good? Great. Running the perfect game plan for the skills they have. I think the Rebels are good. They are not great. If they were great, they'd be winning both games, um, even away against both the Reds and the Brumbies, if, if you want to be calling them great. I think they are running a very good game plan for the style of play that their forwards are able to enact. I mean, we spoke about this previously when looking at the review of the match. I also think that the current game plan, as we mentioned, is not unlocking their backs uh, the capacity that they have within that back line. I think that Joey Powell is taking time for his combination to settle in with um, Matty Tamur, which is completely expected. And so I'm just at this point, not convinced that it is a full game plan yet, but at the same time, I'm really impressed with what they've done so far. And I'm looking forward to this really clutch match that they have against the force this coming week. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the Rebels have done really well with the performances they've put in to become to get so close to the top two teams. They have a big list of casualties or injuries at the moment as well. So they've got mm. some big players that aren't currently playing for them, like Izzy Nicerani, Dana Hale at Petty, some of those other guys. So maybe they're just biding their time until they get their players back fit and ready um, and waiting till they get home at Melbourne in front of their fans to really unleash that back line. And I mean the best thing that you can expect in this competition is to come close to the top two teams at home in, in your away game. So if, as long as you come away from those games with a bonus point, you take that game down at, at, as a home game and you flip it on its head and you get those, those win points, you've done enough to track up the table. So this could be Dave Vessel's plan all along. 
Um, and we could see come the end of the season that that's really what all they needed to do to get into that third place playoff spot again. Yep. Why don't we move on? I think yep. that's a really so comprehensive review. Yep. This next one comes to us from Craig Fitzgerald or at skunky underscore C. He's saying, have modern rugby players forgotten what the pick and drive is? Just a thought. Maybe to help bring in the defense and look for the easiest way forward. I completely agree. Plus people keep calling it pick and go. No, it's a pick and it's drive. It's the pick and drive. That's what we named our podcast That's after. Right. We've got to have a chat to some of these commentators, mate. Although so, Swanny, oh, I will say, good mate Swanny, friend of the pod, he did say pick and drive a few times in the first oh, game. Oh, perfect. The first I've game noticed of that the Morgs round. Keeps saying, yep, yep. I've noticed that Morgs keeps saying pick and go. And so we've got to have a word with him. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your actual question, yes, I think they have. Um, and I think a part of that... Uh, just comes down to the difference in mentality. Rob Carney gave an interview to an Irish uh, newspaper magazine blog or something like that, where he was just talking about the difference um, in attitude towards Northern and Southern Hemisphere rugby, where in Northern Hemisphere rugby, the coaches would be absolutely ripping you apart if you're going for these kind of 60-40, 50-50 offloads. Uh, and he was just saying that they just they just value the possession that much more and are more than happy to keep it in tight for longer periods of time than what Super Rugby is. And he doesn't say it's better or worse. It's just a difference in approach. It's a difference in mentality. And so I think um, if modern rugby players, have they forgotten what the pick and drive is in Australia? Yes, I think they probably have. But if you go and watch any of the English Premiership, then no, they have not. Um, but a lot of it is uh, weather oh, we don't, as we well. don't, we don't care about the English Premiership. We're an Aussie rugby podcast. Let's keep things. Ah, come on, up, come I'm on. I'm right. I'm gonna. Um, I'm look, just gonna answer this quickly. Can I throw my one in there? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you, are you done? Uh, yeah, you're done. Yes. You're done. Um, yes, I agree. Yes, they have forgotten how to score a good pick and drive. Um, we saw it in the game on the weekend. The Rebels got over the line three times and all they had to do was get body height low at the ground, dive from the base of the ruck at the ground, but they went too high and they were being held up over the line. So I think players do need to be aware of what the current ruling is that if you do get held up, it's a dropout um, against you. So you don't get that five-minute scrum. You don't get another crack at it. So yeah, definitely. I think that needs to be something that the coaches look at and getting that body high low and just getting the ball from the base of the ruck and just diving at the line. Um, don't let anyone get underneath you. That's my answer. Yeah. I also just think, and final comment for me, and then I'll stop talking about this point is um, there, there needs to be more earning the right to go forward particularly from the back line. So like you got to earn a right in tight to earn a right to go wide or to have the opportunity to go wide. And I think a lot of the Australian teams are kind of forgetting that and they're just looking to fling the ball wide and try and find the space out there. But modern defences are just too good at tracking and then um, mopping up any half breaks that do happen. So I think there needs to be more bashing up the middle. I mean, look at the force. They really didn't have that much um, many, that many opportunities, but their first try, uh, the, the try, yeah, to um, Fergus Lee Warner off that break from Anstey comes from just really nice hands from the forwards who manipulate the defensive error that's in front of them. And you just don't have that as often as I would like to be seeing. I don't want it all to be forward-based rugby, but I think we need to be a little bit more uh, smart in the way that we're doing things throughout the field. Nice. All right, next question um, comes to us from Ivan Gavazov, and he's asking, are the Melbourne Rebels capable of scoring a try? 
It's a good question. Uh, they were held up three times over the line on Saturday night. So that was very unlucky for them to not score at least one of them. Uh, obviously, that would change the nature of your question, Ivan, if they were able to get the ball down. Uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely are. But they're just playing a game that they're... Like, the, the, the tactics that they're using are really effective considering they've played the two top teams from last year away from home. Yep. So that, like, I don't know what else to say. It's it's good tactics. It makes sense. Um I think you will see a difference in approach, a somewhat different approach, once they're finally able to play in front of the home crowd. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm just going to look at the, or answer this question by looking back at the stats and no, so far this season, no, they are not capable of scoring. (laughs) Yeah, all right, shut up. Let's move on. (laughs) All right, that's the end of, that's all the questions we've got. All right, cool. Well, why don't we head into our preview of round four? Let's just do it now. Let's just go into it. Oh, awesome. Let's jump straight into it. Okay. So the first game of the round is the Force versus the Rebels. So Force get to have a game in front of their home crowd, the Sea of Blue versus the Rebels. So it's they've had over there first against. Uh, I, this ask for the Rebels to have on the road first up is really, really challenging. Um, was, was this the match that they changed because of the COVID restrictions? No, that was this week. That was this week. Okay. So this week, Thank the Rebels were meant to play the Brumbies at home, but they swept okay, that around. So this was always yep. a force home game. Yeah. So looking at um, looking at this match, I it's going to be so tight. I'm really not too sure who's going to be winning this game uh, because the force have so much to be playing for in front of their home crowd. The combination. Like, I'm hoping that Samson picks the same team essentially and tries to give them further opportunity just to get the combinations in because uh, a great reference or a great description for the force I heard was they're basically just a barbarians team in super rugby. And then they've got so many people from around the world that are coming to play for them. So they need those combinations to come into effect more so than they have been previously. Like, Tavita Kandrani has done essentially nothing yep. over the first couple of games. And I don't think it's because he's a bad player, but he's just not getting utilized effectively. So, with that in mind, I, but I'm also not confident that the Rebels, oh, I think the Rebels forward pack is probably better than the Force forward pack. Um, it's just a question of whether the Rebels backline can actually click, aside from Korobetti and Tamua, whether they can actually click. And pal. And yeah, yeah, I, I'd probably be rating as a whole unit the Force backline if they stay with their current back line and, and pick it again. Don't swap Lance in. Don't swap uh, Pryor back in because I think you just got to pick and stick at this point now. Okay. Uh, so who are you going with? Yeah. Do you need I me to come? Do we, okay. I'll come back to you. Do you want me to say mine and we'll come back to you after that little ramble? Yeah. Excuse me. It was a verbal processing, but yes. Yes. Okay. Go you. All right. I'm going to go with the Rebels for this one by five. I'm putting it out there first of all. Um, I just think we look at the performance that the Rebels have had the last two weeks. They've gone up against the Brumbies and the Reds. Now, the, the Rebels have uh, been dominant in the – or maybe dominant's not the right word, but they have made meters in the, the Brumbies 22. They actually got over the line three times. They were able to break the line. They had line breaks. If we saw the Force's performance against the Waratahs, the Waratahs were, um, were present in defense, but they weren't as present or as dominant as – the Brumbies were. We we saw that in the week before. So 
the fact that the the Western Force still weren't able to make a whole lot of ground, and if it wasn't for Tim Anstey, they wouldn't have scored those two tries. It wasn't the backline clicking exceptionally well and doing amazing things. Um, I think the Rebels will play a game plan that will keep them in the game. They'll keep that scoreboard pressure on. Um, and for me personally, I just think that the Rebels need – this game plan needs to pay off at some point. I think this is going to be the one. So – I, I like the Rebels more at this point than the Force. I think they've done more with the ball. Um, so I'm sticking with the Rebels by five. Look, there's a big part of me that agrees with you. I am just not confident that the... Yeah, you know what? I've already said my piece. Force by five. Done. Okay. Rumbies versus Red. So This is in Canberra. This is a huge one because the Brumbies are going to be wanting to bounce back from despite winning what was a poor performance by them against the... Um, against the Rebels. Whilst the Reds have had the week off, they've had an opportunity to recuperate. Are they getting Salakai Loto back at this point? Or does he have one more match out? Uh, It'd have to be close now. So this is their third game of the year. He had one game out at the end of last year. Or did he cop the red card in the in the Argentina game? So No, he's he's playing. So he won't play. Yeah, he's he's available. He is? Okay. Yep. What does he play? Um, that's the question. That's the question because Seru Uru has been fantastic exactly. and Angus Blythe has been really good too. So it's a it's a wonderful question. I don't envy um, Brad Thorne's decision that he has to make here or the situation he finds himself in. Although I guess you want it to be this way. We've got two quality players you're going to try and fit into the team. Yep. Um, so what? who are you thinking for this one, mate? Oh, this is it's going to be tight, this game. It's going to go right down to the wire. I think... Oh, I mentioned before that the fact that they've lost Alan Alatoa and he will probably get a, a two or three weeks from that red card um, on the sideline. I think that will be big for the force, but uh, the the Brumbies, sorry, but they are a team that has such a good culture, has such great leaders in that that whole fifteen that it's not enough to derail them completely. The last time they played the Reds at home was the final last year and they they won, but they didn't win convincingly. The, the Reds were coming back in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, yep. Before that, though, they played them at, at Brisbane and they got absolutely trounced. The Reds really just ran right against them. So I think there will be a little bit of vengeance for that performance last year. But they Brumbies also know that they need to win this comp- to win this competition. They need to to get their victories at home. So, mm. look, my heart says Reds because I want to see them win the competition this year. But I think the Brumbies will be the ones that take this one out. So I'm going to go with Brumbies, but only by three. I think we're going to come down to another position of maybe Ryan Lonigan kicking it from the sideline again. Can you maybe imagine? Tom Banks, whoever it's going to be. But I'm going to go with a really tight one. Brumbies by three for me. I'm wondering if the 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 likely loss of Connell McInerney and Alan Alatoa is going to deal them to the extent that the Reds forward pack will be will have a fair bit of dominance because Connell McInerney was in a moon boot uh, by the end of the game and it was actually kind of funny seeing him kind of hopping onto the field to try and celebrate Ryan Lonigan's uh, kick. So I I'm suggesting that it might well be the Reds. So I'm going to go Reds by five. Oh, we've swapped sides. Yep. Yep. We've so done Reds it for both games, for worth going for someone else. But yeah, I mean, I hope we're both wrong. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> okay. New Zealand, we're not going to give margins because we're not following the competition that closely, yeah. at least within the pod. Uh, so game one is Crusaders versus Chiefs. For me, Saders, uh, they 
some of the attacking play that they had over the weekend, the highlights reel was just incredible. And the Chiefs uh, haven't won a game yet. They've, they've had one, lost the first one. Um, so they're continuing their losing form from last season. I think it's going to be Satyrs by, by, by a canter. Yeah, you just can't tip against Crusaders. You can't do it. Mm. It's not like you're a fool to do it at the moment. So yep. yeah, Crusaders yep. um, all day, every day. Yep. Second game um, so season, Blues host the Highlanders in Auckland. Although there's probably question marks around if this one goes ahead in Auckland or not. But I don't know too much around whether those news. I'm not following the New Zealand rugby scheme too intently. Um I'm going to go with Blues for this one. I just think that they've had a really great start to their season. They're coming off a bye this week. And the Highlanders, while they did perform well against the Chiefs this weekend, I think the Blues are just that next step above that. And I think they're probably in a similar position to the Reds this year in the Australian Conference is that they're not the out-and-out favorites to win the competition, but they've got the skills and they've got the the players in the team to really challenge the, the leader. So yeah, I don't see the Highlanders getting one up against the blues, particularly at home. Yep. I would agree with that. Uh, blues as well for the win. Cool. Done. We are done. Nice. Well, can we just say thank you everybody for getting to this point? We've, we've tried to be a little bit more succinct with our chat this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. One of the important things, can you please, please, please make sure that you are getting involved with us on social media, um, particularly for the locker room that we're going to be doing each week. And the other thing we haven't, um, we haven't promoted this very much, but if you could jump on to maybe kind of like Apple podcasts and give us a review, hopefully a positive review, that would be really, really wonderful and help get the word out about our pod things are going really really well from a listener base point of view but the more hype that we can get the better so thank you everybody for your support and for listening this week sounds great thanks for that um and we'll see you all next week all right bye bye